0: More view, it's hard to believe it's already August, which means we have a lot to celebrate from an amazing summer, uh, and we also have a lot to look forward to. Uh, this past week, there were a couple of events uh, here on our campus and around our campus uh, that we're celebrating. On Monday, uh, as we've done the last few years, we hosted uh, all three of our adopted schools, so Shelby Oaks, Kingsbury Middle School, Kingsbury High School. We're here on our campus Uh, Kingsbury Middle School met here for their meetings and then we were able to feed all of them for lunch and it is it's a beautiful thing to see how the relationships are being formed uh, and cultivated between this church and the administration and teachers of our campuses. Uh, It's just so many opportunities and thank, thank you to those of you who served Uh, and and help provide some funds to to do things like that. The very next day, on Tuesday, uh, we went to Shelby Oaks where we handed out school supplies. And one thing I'm still learning is that oftentimes it is the small expressions of grace and generosity that go a long ways in forming and shaping uh, relationships. Um, A few things you need to put on your calendar. So if you uh, have your calendar close to you, uh, Pull that out. Make some notes. Highlight some things. This Sunday, August 6th, it's a big Sunday for us. It's our Mission Celebration Sunday. Uh, which means we will hear testimonies from the events from our youth group, uh, the worship team. We've we've had people who have scattered all over the 901 uh, and uh, St. Louis, Panama. So you're going to hear some great stories about that. I'm also kicking off a three-week series. Um, August is a big month for us. People are recommitting the church, and uh, so to kick this off, we're going to I'm going to launch into a series called uh, Ecclesia. We're going to talk about what it means to be the church. So the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about prayer and worship and uh, in a few weeks talk about what does it mean for the church to come together uh, so that we can scatter well. So I look forward to this series and unpacking uh, some truths of the gospel to you. This Sunday also is a lifeblood Sunday. Um, so throughout the morning, you'll have an opportunity to go and give blood. Uh, and I'm tempted to say something like, if we if we offer up or, or give more than 50 pints of blood, that I'll either preach a sermon in a suit or shake my head or something like that. I'm not sure if I want to make that commitment yet or not. But please come ready to to give blood and to help save lives. This. Sunday 2 we're kicking off a prayer campaign it's going to be a two week prayer effort and uh, there will be daily emails for 10 days it will be sent out uh, just giving you some little bullet points. It's, I think it's a beautiful thing when the church can come together to unite in prayer together. It's a prayer campaign to kind of launch us into the fall, uh, to recommit our hearts to the Lord, and also really seek the, seek God uh, to trust Him and as He guides us uh, and leads us into the future. So every day there will be a little bullet points. And we didn't want this to be too wordy or elaborate because sometimes there can be prayer efforts where you're reading about prayer but you're not praying. So there will be themes we're praying every day. And then on August 16th, it's a Wednesday night, we're going to have a worship uh, service here in our worship center. And it's going to kick off an 84-hour prayer vigil. So there will be around-the-clock prayer happening in our worship center from Wednesday night, August 16th, beginning at 8. And it will go all the way until Sunday morning at 8 a.m. There will be security here for uh, the times uh, when the office is not open. There will be one shepherd here uh, just to be with people if you need a shepherd to pray with. Uh, You can do this as an individual. You can sign up as life groups, as families, friends, Bible classes. However you want to do it, they're going to be hour-long shifts. So we're looking for 84 shifts, 84 hours for people to commit to be here to pray and to have just some around-the-clock prayer. It's a beautiful thing. We've done this in the past when people can come together, center ourselves in prayer, have this this chain of prayer that is not broken as we seek God uh, for great things. On Sunday, August 13th at 5 p.m. is our ice cream social. We look forward to this every year. Uh, so you'll need to bring some uh, finger foods uh, as well as make some homemade ice cream. You'll love it. If you've never been, uh, don't just come and bring some friends and be a part of this uh, amazing event. August 24th is a Thursday night from 6 to 8. I'm going to host another forum. This will be the fourth forum that we've done uh, in this church. And this forum, I wanted to hold together the topics of marriage, parenting and singleness, all in the same discussion. So I'm bringing in, uh, there are going to be a, a, a few people, uh, Catherine Blackney, who's a therapist here in Memphis, my mom's coming from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, who's a marriage and family therapist, uh, Ariana, uh, who many of you have heard at either Downline Institute here in town, or she's spoken at the Girls Conference, will be here, and Andy Savage, who's a uh, teaching pastor over at High Point Church, is going to join us. It's going to be this, this wonderful panel. we will love for you to be there, to hear about marriage, parenting, singleness, and why we all need to hear uh, about uh, what is forming and challenging for for these groups. Uh, And last but not least, the clothing sale is happening at the end of August. So it gives you some things to pray for and shoot for. August 25th is Friday. It's going to go from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Saturday, from 8 a.m. to noon. So, uh, hey, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter uh, jump on and follow us on Instagram. If we don't have your email address, give us your email address, uh, download our app to stay, stay in touch with everything that's going on in the life of this church. Oh man, it's already been a great day, but I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I want to unpack and teach just for a little bit. So if you have your a written Bible. Uh, I want you to open it up in your lap. If you have the Bible on your phone, I want you to pull out Luke 10 on your phone. And I'm going to trust you that you can go 15 minutes this morning without going to Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, checking text messages, that you can stay focused just for a few moments. I want to help um, celebrate this summer as well as the prayer campaign we're launching today. Uh, And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus calls people to go on this mission trip. And I want to walk us through how this happens in Luke 10 and uh, into Luke chapter 11. I want to thank the four who got up here and spoke earlier today. You were incredible. You were inspiring. Whenever I hear uh, some people or some adults who occasionally like point their finger at the young generation, like just so worried about them, I'm like, for one, shut up. I mean, be quiet. I'm sorry. I'm going to get in trouble for my kids, you know. Dad said the S word in church, Uh, hush. And go hang out with the four of you. Uh, You inspired me. You told stories this morning, but I love that you also had language of God. It was like, here's what God showed me. Here's how I experienced God. And for those of you who went on trips this summer, for the adults who went on trips, even sometimes how we encounter God on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study, I think the question always has to be like, what do I do with the encounter I've had with God? What do I do with this experience? So in Luke chapter 10, here's a mission trip, and here's how it goes. Uh, It begins like this. And after this, the Lord appointed 72. Some of your versions have 70, all right? 72 others, and they sent them out. Jesus sent them out two by two to every town and place where he was about to go. And here's what he told them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Look to your neighbor and say the harvest is plentiful. All right, and look to your neighbor and say the workers are few. All right, so here's Jesus starts out his mission trip, and here's how he's going to inspire these 72 people. He's going to send them out in pairs, and what he tells them is the harvest is plentiful. Like there's a lot that God wants to do out there. He even calls, you know, ask the Lord of the harvest. It's, God's the Lord of the harvest, and the workers are few. And then Jesus calls them to prayer. Some of you virgins have ask. Some of your versions have pray. It's this idea of, hey, here's something you need to be inquiring God about. Here's something you need to be pleading with the Lord about. And he calls them to prayer early on in these instructions. And the prayer they're supposed to pray is not for their safety. It's not for peace on the journey. It's not even for courage or boldness or give us the words to say. The way Jesus instructs them to pray is, hey, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few, and here's what you need to ask God for. You need to ask God to raise up more people, to awaken more people, to open the eyes of more people who know God, to see how God is calling them to join in the harvest. Because it becomes way too easy as the church, it becomes way too easy as Christians, if I, let's just pray for those, pray for others to be sent out into the harvest, and let's be the church that comes into a safe place and talks about the gospel in a safe place and stays connected with people who are already in the in crowd. And let's pray for the few who are going out instead of seeing that God is calling the church, stirring the hearts of the church, that you are the ones who are being sent out into the harvest. The harvest in the world is not something the church is supposed to shy away from or disengage from or be afraid of. It is something to be engaged. It's something to pursue. So Jesus says, harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. What you need to pray for is for God to send more people out into the harvest. Hopefully that gives us some way to pray this morning. And then Jesus gives them a little pep rally. Maybe you've been involved in speeches before. You've watched movies with good speeches, like a William Wallace who's going out to war and gives this speech where all of us are like, we will go die for William, you know. Um, you, you've, if you've played sports, I mean, I, so many things you do. There's someone who stands up and they give some kind of speech because we're about to engage in something. Uh, I remember uh, I, I played a lot of sports growing up. In high school, I played football the school in Dallas, we were about to play our Crosstown Rifle. And we had a, the, the smallest dude on our football team. He never saw the field, all right? But he asked the coach if he could give our speech before we played the Crosstown Rifle. And he stood up in front of us, the shortest dude on our team. And he read the story of First Samuel. He read the story of David and Goliath. And he was building up to this point where he's like, and the little guy David chops off Goliath's head, and God's calling us to go chop off heads tonight too. People went crazy, all right? Maybe, maybe it was taking the text a little out of context. All right? uh, but people are, knew we were ready to go lay it out on the line to fight, all right? Here's Jesus' pep rally. Here's how he encourages people. Verse 3, I am sending you out like lambs among Wolves. And if I'm around, you know, I'm talking to my buddies or I'm mentioning to Jesus, I'm like, I think we should choose a different metaphor, all right? Because lambs among wolves, this doesn't go well. Lambs are chased by wolves. Lambs are terrorized by wolves. Wolves hunt lambs. They don't do nice things to lambs. How about, you know, send us out like lions among gazelles? How about send us out like tigers among poodles or something like that, you know? But not, not lambs uh, among wolves, this doesn't go well. Jesus is preparing people, saying, when I send you out into the harvest, um, I want to fill your heart with peace, but I'm not guaranteeing that things are not going to happen to you and that you will not be betrayed. I'm not guaranteeing that you're not going to be persecuted in some kind of way, and at some point, Christians got to make a decision. Are we going to be obedient to God? Are we going to care more about our reputation, our identity, our safety, our security? Jesus is saying, hey, I'm sending you out. And I'm not guaranteeing things aren't going to happen to you or your family. Sometimes I laugh when I hear Christians in America, the things some people call persecution, the early church would laugh at. <laughs> when you tell someone that, that you want them to know that Jesus loves them and you're in a restaurant and you mention that to them and they ignore you and walk away, that doesn't make you a martyr in the kingdom, you know? But you lay it on the line, no matter where God's calling us. The harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Jesus is calling people, just be obedient and go. And trust, there is a crown waiting for us that is greater than anything you could ever imagine. And Jesus gives them a few more instructions. If they don't take anything with you, you need to fully trust God. But I want you to look in your Bibles in verse 8 and verse 9, because Jesus gives them three things He wants them to do. Number one, when you go to a place... You need to eat with people. You eat whatever is before you. Don't complain about it. Eat. Have you ever been on a mission trip and there's food placed in front of you and you're like, I really don't know what this is, right? <laughs> or some of you, no matter where you go, you eat. It's one of the first things you do. I bet when, I bet when the group got to St. Louis, like one of the first things you did is probably eat together. When you got to Panama, at some point, like a meal was one of the first things you did together is that we eat. Now, we get this part of mission trips, right? part of any encounter. We like to eat. Some of you don't just wait until you get somewhere and then think about eating. You've already researched all the places you're going to eat when you get somewhere. Jesus says you eat whatever is before you. Eating, Jesus is calling people to fellowship because it's a fellowship, in fellowship, around a table, eating with people, strangers, neighbors, new people you're encountering. It's through eating with them that you gain personal equity. You, uh, you, you gain integrity. So when it comes time for you to speak words of the kingdom and words of Jesus, people know you care and they're ready to listen. Jesus says you eat. second thing is you heal, the, you heal diseases. Whatever is in front of you, whatever you notice, that is not in alignment with the kingdom of God, with the future bodies we want to inherit one day, anything that doesn't reflect the wholeness and the perfection of God, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus because we want people to be set right. Now, any, anybody who was healed on this mission trip, at some point they ended up getting sick again, they ended up dying, all right? But Jesus is saying wherever you see something that is not in alignment With God's perfection and beauty and holiness, you rebuke it. You go out, you heal diseases. So you are eating for the sake of fellowship. You're also demonstrating the powers of God with whoever you are in the presence of. You eat. You heal, you demonstrate. And the third thing is you tell people about the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come upon you. If you struggle sometimes about what the kingdom is, the way I just break it down in a very simple way the kingdom of God is the reign of God, it's the reign of Jesus. So Jesus is calling them to go and declare to people the reign of God is coming to you, on you, it is for you. And I don't know if Jesus is just laying out three principles and you just honor these or if Jesus is laying out a progression. And I guess I want to suggest maybe this is a progression. Because I think if you go into any place, and the first thing you want to do is just tell people about the kingdom and preach to people about the good news of Jesus, you have no relational equity yet. I'm not saying God has not used street preachers before to advance His kingdom. I've just seen very little fruit that comes with people getting on a microphone in front of people they don't know. I've seen very little fruit come from it. I have seen fruit come from people who invest in others. They invest in relationships. They eat. They build some equity. They are demonstrating by their lives the faithfulness of God. And then the time comes when the Lord opens a door for people to speak words about the kingdom and words about Jesus. Jesus continues to encourage these people. And then in verse 16, he sends them out. They put their hands in a circle. One, two, three, let's go. Boom, everybody goes. And then you have no idea. We aren't told personal stories. Like, wouldn't it be cool if what happened this morning happened to them? Like, I mean, that that you get to read stories of some of those people who went to a St. Louis or a Panama or Mission Memphis or wherever they went. The encounter they had with people. We don't know any of the stories. All we get, verse 16, boom. They're off. Verse 17, they return. And when they return, what they say is, Jesus, even the demons submitted to us. When Jesus sent them out, he didn't say anything about driving out demons. He didn't, he didn't tell them anything about, hey, when you see demons or the powers of darkness, here's how you rebuke them or drive them out. Jesus told them to go out and you eat, you declare, you, you heal diseases, and you declare and you tell people about the good news of the kingdom. Let me tell you, here, here's how I think this works, all right? This is really cool. Um... Whenever we are committed to advancing the kingdom of God through eating with people, engaging people outside of our context, we're getting to know them. We are living lives where we want to demonstrate in every kind of way the power and faithfulness of God. And we are using words from our mouth to speak to people about advancing the kingdom of God. When these things happen, the demons and evil and the powers of darkness see the advancement of the kingdom and how his people are lifting up the name of Jesus. And when the demons and powers of darkness see it, they shudder and they flee because they can't stand in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. So when you are engaged in advancing the kingdom of God in any kind of way, demons can't stand in that presence. And it's when the people of God realize that power that is within us, the confidence we, to live with this confidence of he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Demons are bowing at these things, and you don't even know it. Demons and the powers of darkness were bowing from the efforts in St. Louis and Panama. And Jesus follows that up by saying, I know. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw the powers of darkness falling like lightning. Because the kingdom of God was advancing. And then there's this dude who was in that crowd who comes to Jesus, kind of steps out from the crowd. You're told he's a teacher of the law. And what the guy says is, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to like inherit eternal life? And I don't know if you've noticed how many times Jesus responds to questions with questions. Doesn't this drive you nuts sometimes? I'm like, Casey, where do you want to go eat this weekend? It's a date night. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Didn't you decide last time? Maybe, but then you decide the time before, it's like, you know, this question's going forever. People ask Jesus a question, he responds with a question. Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I don't know, you read the Bible, right? Like, what do you read? And what Jesus is asking him isn't just, what do you read, but how do you read it? Like, what's your interpretation? And the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well, go and do it. And listen to the guy's response, all right? Because this guy doesn't respond questioning or asking how he loves God better. Maybe in his life he felt like he had a love for God and he was expressing that through prayer or some other kind of way. He doesn't ask about loving God. He asks, uh, let me ask you one more question, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus ends up telling a story that Christians know all over the world and not only Christians, non-Christians know the story of the Good Samaritan all over the world. It has been told in paintings, in songs. It's been in sermons, messages. It's so encouraging. But a lot of times we forget that this wasn't Jesus just standing in front of a crowd with some sermon and say, hey, I got a story for you. Let me tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. It's the direct response to somebody's question of how they inherit eternal life and who is my neighbor. And the question of who is my neighbor leads Jesus to tell a story in which it's the Jew, it's the insider, it's the person who has a connection with God. Not only that, the favor of God. And it's not the Jew who sees someone else down in a ditch and tries to serve them. The way Jesus tells the story is it's the Jew, it's the insider, it's the people of Israel, it's someone who's down in a ditch, and you open your eyes, and it's like the last person in the world you want to see. there standing over you to serve you. It's a story Jesus tells that gets a cultural conflict, a racial divide. And it's the question that so many Christians are so fearful to ask. Because if we take seriously who is my neighbor, there's no telling how God's going to answer it and where that may lead us, right? So to sit back and say, God, who's my neighbor? And what do I do about it? Sometimes we don't want to know the answer to it because what do you do when you ask God who a neighbor is or you try to live in a way where I'm going to love a neighbor and the person in front of you is a person who prays to Allah or it's someone who's oriented different than you or when the question of who is your neighbor leads you into the presence of an undocumented immigrant, leads to someone who is outside of your cultural or religious or uh, racial makeup, what do you do with that? Are you still willing to eat, declare, demonstrate, and tell so that the kingdom can advance in every kind of way? After that, you have the Mary Martha story where the disciples are coming and they're sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's serving Mary sitting in his presence. But I want you to see Luke chapter 11 verse 1 because after chapter 10, of this mission trip, celebrating a mission trip, hearing the testimonies, declaring the power of God, talking about the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 11 verse 1, the disciples come to Jesus and the question they ask is, Lord, don't teach us. It's not about serving better or how will we live better, engaging the mission better. They come with a request and their request after all they had experienced and encountered, their request was this, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. And I'm not saying or suggesting that there weren't other times when they came to Jesus saying, Lord, teach us to serve better, or teach us to be more compassionate. But the disciples come into the presence of Jesus because they realize that if they want to continue living lives of justice and compassion and service, they've got to have something that's rooted in something deeper than they could have ever imagined. So they, they come with one request, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. And keep in mind, these are Jews, all right? These people have prayed all their lives, they prayed the hours of the day. Nine, uh, noon, three. They went to synagogue. They pr- pr- prayed public prayers. They prayed over meals. Like the prayer had been a part of who they were. But they saw this, the way Jesus prayed is something they wanted. The connection he had with God. How the prayer time filled him with peace. Even when he was super distracted by the things happening in the world. Jesus, the way you pray is how we want to pray. And next Sunday, I want to pick up on that and start with Luke chapter 11, where I unpack the Lord's Prayer from Luke 11 and how Jesus taught them to pray. But for the teenagers coming out of a summer, after mission mission trips we celebrated the summer and you're re-engaging life, this is a request you need. Lord, teach us to pray. And for adults, this is a request that you never outlive. Lord, teach us to pray. However you pray, we want to pray that kind of way with the, with the connection you have with God. The authority that comes from that kind of prayer time and how you live, we want that. Lord, teach us to pray. So this morning, we have four tables and we have pens and we have pieces of paper. And I specifically want to ask teachers and educators and administrators who are either going back, maybe you've already gone back or you're about to see kids this week or the next week, I want to invite you to tables to give us things to pray for for you. For students who are re-engaging school, if there are things we can pray for you, I don't care if you're home school, private school, public school, if there are things we can pray for, I invite you to those tables. And it doesn't just have to be those. If there's something, someone else, and maybe you, uh, th- the request of Lord teach us to pray is something that hadn't been on your lips in a long time. And If there's any way we can pray for you and encourage you, I invite you to those tables. If there's someone here who has never given their life to Jesus before. Uh, August is, for many of us, it's a month of new beginnings. It's a month that fresh starts we're reconnecting in school we're coming out of a summer of vacations we're we're trying to reconnect with life if this is a time where you need to connect or reconnect with god will you come and find us this morning shepherds prayer leaders will you go ahead and go to your places to receive people and if this is a morning where you need to confess jesus is the lord of your life you need to be baptized into christ to give your life to him we invite you to the front come and join me come and join one of our elders and you see some of our other prayer leaders going throughout this room, if there's anything we can pray for you, I encourage you to find them as we sing this song. And we specifically chose this song to sing as we are asking God in the life of this church, for people, for our community, as He sends us out into the harvest to stir in our hearts, to awaken us in every kind of way so that we can be a part of how God is advancing His kingdom in this world. Let's stand together. Let's join in the song.